Shalom and welcome to another edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. And I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Welcome. We thank you very, very much for joining us today and what will be, I'm sure, a very special uh, podcast with us. As you know, um, these podcasts are designed to really talk about the impact of longevity and the longevity revolution uh, on our community. If you'd like to reach us, uh, please feel free to email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. If you have suggestions or comments or uh, ideas for the program. And um, before we begin with our very honored guest, uh, Ambassador Oren, just a mention to those of you who may be having uh, relatives, friends, family in the South Florida area, and you're concerned about their care. Uh, I want to make you aware of uh, our sponsor, AdvoCare uh, in South Florida. Amy Siegel is the head of AdvoCare. AdvoCare is a full-service care management company. It serves Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and all of the Palm Beaches. They're professional health advocates, and they're available to help you with your loved ones 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to assist whatever your needs are with your family concerns in the South Florida area. They know the best resources and how to navigate the healthcare system, which for many of us is a, is a maze of, of just craziness sometimes. How to support your family uh, to help you, for those of you who are not in Florida and can't get down there all the time. They can accompany you to doctor's appointments, your loved ones to doctor's appointments, provide professional support in the ER and communicate with medical providers so that you are constantly informed as to the progress and status of your loved ones. Elders here, family there, rest assured with AdvoCare. You can reach them at caremanage.com. That's www.caremanage.com. You can call them at 561-266-3489. That's AdvoCare, 561-266-3489. It is a pleasure and an honor to welcome to uh, today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, Ambassador Michael Oren. Uh, welcome, Baruch Haba, Shalom, and how you doing? Uh, <laughs> shalom to you. Shalom to you, Rabbi Adras. I'm, I'm great. I'm fine. Thank you. Great, great, great. Um, we're going to talk about your new book, a work of fiction called Swan's War. Swan's War, available through bookstores and, of course, Amazon. Um, this is not a detailed examination of the intrigues of politics of the Middle East, but it is a work of fiction about Mary Beth Swan. Uh, and we are taken back to the 1940s, I think 1944, 1945, um, on a little slip of land off of New England. And I, and I'm, as I read through the book, uh, I guess the first obvious question is, uh, Ambassador, what brought you to what brought you to write this? What it's? Did you get a a vision? Did a did a, a voice call to you in the middle of uh, North Jersey or the Parkway, saying, "Write this book about a police, a female police captain"? 
Yeah, first of all, yes, that's something like that. I tell you the truth. Um, oh, I've been writing. I've been writing. People say, you know, what point did you leave writing history or being in politics and turn to fiction? And the answer is, I started as a as a fiction writer. I started as a, a poet. I was a teen poet. I published my first poet poem in Seventeen magazine when I was fourteen years old. Oh my and, God, Seventeen uh, magazine. Yeah, and wow. then I, I went on to write uh, films and and plays, and, and I've been involved in writing. This is actually my fifth work of fiction. And I always say that history writing supports my fiction writing habit. And I'm always happiest. The best compliment I get on my history writing is that my, my history books read like novels. Uh, I love that. And I use many of the same, uh, many of the same tools. Uh, this is a, a work of this book it takes place in 1944, 1945. I had to, I had to know what people spoke like, how, what they ate or didn't eat because it was rationing, uh, the clothes they wore, the radio programs. They looked to a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of historical research went into the book. I wanted to get it exactly right. Um, where does the influence come from? Where does the inspiration come from? That, that's an excellent, it's an excellent question. It's one that I actually ask myself. Um, usually, uh, when I write, um, my short stories, for example, I had a collection of short stories recently called uh, The Night Archer. Um, the stories are, have three components. One is uh, a story, which I hope will be entertaining for my reader. I want to keep my reader at the, on the edge of her or his seat. Um, secondly, I want to draw on my experiences, whether in, in politics or in academia. Uh, in the army. Um, and thirdly, I want to say something. I want to say something fundamental about human relations, about love, about reality, about God. I often write about religious issues, and uh, this book, this novel, Swan's War, is very different. Um, I did not grow up uh, off the coast of of New England on a small fishing island. Uh, I did. I knew nothing about uh, cod fishing. I know nothing about cranberry farming, at least I didn't, now I do. Uh, and uh, I knew very little about uh, police women in the 1940s. Back then they were called uh, women policemen. Uh, they didn't carry guns, they didn't walk beats. Um, it, is a world, it is a complete work of fiction. Um, and even the island on which this takes place, Fourth Cliff, uh, is an imaginary island. You won't find it on a map, uh, though there is a map of the island within the book. Um, and so, um, I, I don't know, all of a sudden one day I looked up and there was this character, my protagonist, Mary Beth Swan saying, hello, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm your hero. And, uh, and here's the story. But having said that, it's very much grounded in history. Um, uh, one of the big parts of the book is the presence of Italian prisoners of war in the United States. Uh, during World War II, some 51,000 Italian prisoners of war were stationed in the United States and they were held under minimum uh, security conditions, and they were allowed to work. Uh, they worked in farming, they worked in fishing. Uh, and that, uh, that is very much a, uh, a historical fact, but also as a historical fact is the oppression, the government oppression of Italian Americans during World War II. Um, because everyone knows about the mass incarceration of Japanese Americans, but that same presidential um, edict uh, and that allowed for the uh, incarceration of thousands of Italian Americans, and it's pointed out in the book that among them were Joe DiMaggio's parents. The executive order that you referred to, I think was it Executive Order ninety sixty six that uh, President Roosevelt signed. Mm -hmm. um, the the internment of of Italian America. I mean, the fear factor alone. Uh, Sadly, we're still dealing with fear factors in the way we treat people and the mm -hmm. and and the, the very, very Jewish theme of the other, you know, the other. And of course, this is wartime and the the prologue begins. I'm not going to give too much away, but mm -hmm. with one of the Italian prisoners being 
uh, dragged up in one of the fishing nets, right? And that's where we meet Mary Beth. Um, so who is Mary Beth to you? Well, she's my hero. Um, she is a woman, by the way, she's a Catholic woman from South Boston, the uh, daughter and granddaughter of, you know, cops, Irish American cops, um, who is determined to become uh, a policewoman, uh, though her father doesn't support the idea, thinks it's ridiculous that women should be policemen. Um, she marries, um, Archie, who is the police captain of this island. He brings her to the island and the island is not very welcoming to her. Uh, she's alien, and we, we we forget the days when um, when there was a tremendous amount of um, of racism and hatred toward toward Catholics, the Papists, uh, on the part of you know sort of WASP America, Protestant America, and these the Maritimers Maritimers on this island are not very accepting of Mary Beth Swan, both as a woman and as a Catholic, and as a sort of a big city girl, and um, and then World War II breaks out, and her husband Archie gets called up into the Marines to fight in the South Pacific, and she finds herself basically the law on this island, and uh, she's full of self doubts, as you know. Um, she, you know, she she doesn't know if she's up to the job. Can she fulfill? Can she fill Archie's shoes? And when she's faced with a a serial killer, all of these insecurities, all the loneliness comes to the fore. And what I so admire about Mary Beth Swan is her ability to overcome her insecurities, ability to overcome this hostile environment, and to and to keep the, you know keep pursuing this this killer to the very end. Yeah, it you get the sense when and for those of you who will buy the book and you again I'm not giving anything away, um, Ambassador Orrin alluded to it. This is a very solitary focused uh, heroine who, as you read the book, the, her sense of aloneness. Um, and you do paint this wonderful descriptive pictures of the island, of, of its almost bleakness and its isolationness from, not yet, that's a word, from the mainland. And, you, and I do want to compliment you there. there there's several wonderful passages of description with names that probably many people. Um, won't remember like Philco, um, Postum, um, and the rational. I mean, the one I think in one descriptive paragraph where she's sitting alone in in her office, you know, her head down on the blotter, and um, makes herself a cup of Postum and uses this certain milk that's with ration, either canned milk or whatever, whatever canned heifer, <laughs> and listening to the Philco radio, right. um, you know, with the Red Sox schedule. Pointed, uh, pinned up to the bulletin board, I think. So th there's a lot of great descriptive uh, aspects of this. Um, I got to ask you this because as I'm reading this book, it, you're picture, you know, you're picturing all these things in your mind, in, in your mental. Who plays Mary Beth in the movie? I wish I knew. People have asked me that again and again, and uh, there's actually really? some, you know, yeah, because because of the the reviews have been excellent, and uh, particularly the review in Kirkus reviews. I got a star. Right which every author wants. I've only gotten that once in my life for the Six Day War book. And uh, so I was very high, but so already we've got inquiries from Hollywood uh, to, to maybe option this, because it's a great role for an actor. It's a terrific role for an actor. Oh yeah, and I, it is. I mean, you can visual, this is one of those books as you read it, you can actually visualize uh, hmm. the movie, uh, the, the long drive, the, the ending with the, with the electrical storm, and um, the, the drive up to the POW camp with the four the towers there and the, 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 the prisoners that she engages in 
on a variety of different levels. And these very interesting, unique characters from the town, um, like the um, Lemuel, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, and Dr. Cunningham, and the guy who really runs the canning factory. These are great little roles uh, that you that you that you paint. Uh, the Italian, and I'm, and I'm glad you wrote about and, and mentioned in the epilogue the Italian uh, prisoners of war thing because um, I think, as you pointed out, most people don't really, really not aware of of, of this aspect. Um, how much of this story you have uh, an isolated heroine? fighting the odds. You have an isolated little island uh, surrounded by uh, water and um, hostile environments in the middle of a war. And so I'm reading this book and I'm saying, on some subconscious level, is this Israel? Yeah, I knew you were getting there. Maybe. And um, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, Yeah, Israel is an island in that way. And uh, and a lot of hostility and, and feeling very alone. I mean, on a personal level, I um, I grew up as the only Jewish kid in a largely Sicilian neighborhood. It's interesting. I write about Italians, and I write about Italians because I knew Italians growing up. And uh, part of the Sopranos was shot in my neighborhood, that that kind of neighborhood. And um, and I experienced anti-Semitism for a very early age. It had a profound impact on my decision to move to Israel. And um, and so being alone, being unaccepted. Um, Taking you know taking on tasks that rec- that uh, that involve seemingly insurmountable odds, um, I think, and I want to say this humbly, I've encountered similar situations in my life, whether it be going to Israel or being in the army. I was a lone soldier in the paratroopers, uh, coming to Washington um, at a very a tense time um, in the U.S.-Israel relationship. Um, so I can identify a lot with Mary Beth Swan. The what was the greatest challenge in writing this book? Was it the research, or is actually sitting down and bringing all the research and yourself together? Because writing is a very it's a lonely sport. It's very lonely. This this was a unique experience for me because um, I mentioned before this is my my fifth work of fiction. I've written uh, a lot of history books, and I write quite often for the press. I, I write for Tablet. I write for Atlantic. Right. right. Um, and uh, and and like many writers, there's going to be that moment where you smack your head on the keyboard, or if you're really <laughs> if you're really frustrated, you smack your head on the screen, and uh, you know. I always say there's a God of writing. You never know why, you know, you can have a really terrible night's sleep, but write really well and then have a good night's sleep and be completely blocked. Nobody knows. Um, I didn't have a moment like that with this book. This book, this book literally flowed out of me. And I had so much fun. I mean, I would, I'd, be, I'd be just smiling the whole time I was writing it. And the research was fascinating for me, wow. um, especially the part about language. I must tell you, the language, I went through every line in this book, every spoken line in the book to see if this is something that somebody would say in 1944. Uh, at one point, I had a character say, you know, game over. And I looked up the right. dictionary, and it turns out the first time game over was used was in 1970. So that had to go, <laughs> game over. And, you know, you had to learn expressions like, you know, crimity and, and Jiminy Crickets, um, which, by the way, are both substitutes for Christ. Uh, Jiminy Crickets. And um, so that was fascinating. The great challenge of the book, and I mean massive, that I've never encountered before was writing a who done it. And uh, a murder mystery, because right. in a murder mystery, it, it requires very 
very high, highly calibrated choreography. That's all I can say. You have to lead your reader down dead end. And they'll have to be convinced that they know who did it. And then all of a sudden, the dead end. And they come back uh, to the road. And at the end of the road, they're going to find out who did it. And when they do, they can't say, oh, that's ridiculous. I wasn't prepared for that. They have to be able to say, oh, how did I miss that? That was right in front of my eyes and be completely yeah. surprised. And so what I did was when I, when I finished the first drafts of the book, I gave it to several friends who are mystery freaks. I mean, they just you know, devour mystery novels. And none of them got the ending. So I was, <laughs> and, and none of them felt that they had been misled uh, by the ending, which is uh, to me um, a source of great, I don't know, fulfillment for me that I was able to actually succeed at that. Because you think the hard part of the book is, you know, doing these characters or creating an island or returning to the world of 1944 and, and keeping your reader interested. To me, the great challenge was the whole murder mystery angle of it. And I now have great reverence, I must tell you, uh, for murder mystery writers. The, um, the, again, I don't want to give anything away, but there is sort of like a glimmer. Some, I, I may have about three quarters of the way through the book. There's a piece of dialogue that doesn't make that, that fits in the context, but it, as you end the book, I remember saying, Oh, wait a minute. But looking back, maybe a hundred pages before there was this, should I, should I pick that up or something, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a compliment to you and your skills. Yeah. But you did accomplish it because the end is really you. You could see it builds and builds and builds and builds. The last couple of chapters are very frenetic in in the way it's written. I mean, it it really works out uh, really really well. So again, congratulations again. The book Thank is you. Swans War S W A N N apostrophe S War. You'll be taken back to um, this little island off the coast of New England in 1944 and 1945, surrounded by uh, World War II, um, missing loves, uh, missed opportunities, and um, regrets, and at the end, fulfillment um, with Ambassador Michael Oren. We'll be back with the Ambassador. Just a reminder uh, from Advocare, our sponsor for this month here on Seekers of Meaning. Uh, Advocare is um, a care management company that's going to assist you in taking care of your loved ones who may be living in the South Florida area, Miami, Broward, Palm Beach counties. They assist medic with medical issues, phys uh, physician and medical center uh, meetings, associations, in-home care, communicating totally with you back home wherever, wherever you may live. They provide complete support to clients wanting to stay in their own home as long as possible. Your family is assigned a nurse, a nurse care manager, or a social work care manager, or both, if both are needed. And Advocare is familiar with all their health and living needs to create a plan to remain as stable as possible. So if you're interested in following up with Advocare, if you have a need, as so many people do who are scattered around the United States and have loved ones on the, in the South Florida area, please consider to give Advocare a call. Uh, their number is 561-266-3489. That's 561-266-3489. Or you can go to the um, great God of the Internet and go to www.caremanage.com. That's caremanage.com. And when you reach them, please uh, do us a favor and tell them you heard about them from 
um, the Seekers of Meaning podcast. We'd appreciate it. Again, Ambassador Oren Swan's War. Um, I asked you what was the most exciting, what was the most, the, the, the most frustrating thing in this whole process? Uh, was it, was it the dialogue? Was it going back in time? Was it the mystery thing? Um, the most frustrating thing and, and you, you talked about the most gratifying thing in essence of, of really how you created this. Um, are you, I guess I'm, when I ask you then, are you going to write another mystery? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that to me is very daunting. Uh, that, because that part of it was, was so difficult. And, um, you know, my, my greatest dream and my greatest fear is that a publisher will come along and say, can you give us two more Mary Beth Swan stories? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking about it all the time. I do have a collection of short stories I'll be publishing next year and a nonfiction book I'm publishing next year. Publishing a book on the my vision of Israel for 2048 on its 100th birthday. It's called Israel 2048, the, the Rejuvenated State. And so I'm writing, writing, writing. So I, I have to come up with two new mysteries. That's true. Does Mary Beth Swan move back to Boston with Archie? I don't know. That is the question. Let's let's not give it away. But uh, uh, it, I'm here in New Orleans. Yesterday I was at the World War II Museum, and my That's father. That's a great museum. Amazing. It was, um, my father was a decorated uh, veteran of World War II, highly decorated, I would say, and uh, he passed away last year. And certainly uh -huh. his, his World War II experiences um, inform this book. Uh, an earlier novel I wrote uh, called Reunion uh, was about a, uh, based on, on the reunions I attended with my father, his World War II reunion. So um, there's something about that period um, which has a, such a profound resonance for Americans, not just for Americans, but particularly here. It's a world in which there were good guys and bad guys, and life was simpler. And, uh, and, and, and so there's a tremendous nostalgia for it. Um, I, I'm, I'm going through a number of airports on this uh, tour, and I, I can't help look at you know, the books that are on the Hudson racks. And you see, I would say a quarter, maybe a fifth to a quarter of all the books on the sale are somehow related to World War II. Um, people want to go back. And... Uh, and it's not that Mary Beth Swan's world isn't complicated, but it isn't complicated by internet, and it isn't complicated by gender identity issues, and it isn't complicated by, by political correctness. I mean, there's so much, or political polarization at, at the time when all Americans are pretty much on the same side there, uh, and, and pulling for America and believing in America. So it's, um, uh, it's a world in which Harvard graduates, and there is a Harvard student in this book, I want nothing more than to go off and fight. Uh, and that's a rather radical departure from our reality today. Uh, so, you know, that part of it was, uh, for me, always going back is, is a beautiful experience. Um, you know, the, 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 what you learn as a writer is that the writing part of it is the easy part. Uh, then comes the editing, and I've had excellent editors on this book. Um, and they will point out, you know, inconsistencies. A person who has blue eyes on page three has to have blue eyes on page 200, right? Um, uh, consistency. They may think that uh, Mary Beth Swan sometimes becomes a little bit too insecure, uh, and they'll, they'll, they will tweak that book. One of the interesting experiences I've had with every book I've written is people writing in with comments slash corrections. Really? And, and, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, the book I wrote about America in the Middle East called Power, Faith, and Fantasy. I can't tell you how many emails I got. You got this wrong. You got that wrong. Um, and some of them, sometimes they're right. Uh, no, no book is perfect. And uh, as T.S. Eliot once said famously, uh, the, the poem is over when the poet gives up. And that is true of any work 
uh, of creation. You just give up at a certain point. You can't perfect it anymore. Um, so on this book, I'll tell you the interesting comments I've gotten. I hope this won't dissuade anybody from reading it. Uh, I mentioned Ted Williams, uh, the immortal Ted Williams player for the Boston Red Sox, and how he hits a, a home run over the left field fence. And several people have written to me and say, no, Ted Williams hit home runs over the right field fence. Right. You left-handed batter. <laughs> you, you, you knew that. You knew that. Yeah, well, uh, I've dabbled in baseball so, uh, every once in a while. So uh, yeah. as, a, as a Philadelphia Phillies fan, so. Yeah. Uh, but we'll my, leave, my, condo leave, my condolence. My no, 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 no. We'll, leave <laughs> we'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. You mentioned something just briefly before, and before we start running out of time, I do yeah. want to pick up on this. Um, so you're writing this book on the on Israel 20, uh, what is it, 2048? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're about two decades away from that, believe it or not. Yep. Uh, Very which close. Is, which in it, itself is hard to believe. Um, and we're, we're recording this in the middle of November, the elections, the midterms from here are just over, the elections in Israel are just over. Um, you have a unique experience. Uh, I know a, a lot of people in the liberal religious community are very concerned about the tenor of what this new Israeli government is going to be. What's your take? Uh, you know, you looked about creation. We're in Genesis. We're talking about creation. Uh, nothing's perfect. Are you optimistic, um, concerned, troubled about where we are in the current Israel relationships with the United States and what's going on there? So if you remember the, the SATs, there was always that answer, D, all of the above. So my answer to my concern, worried, optimistic is, is D, all of the above. Okay, of course I'm concerned. Um, as someone who comes out of the, the world of liberal American Jewry, um, for many, many years, member of Reform Synagogue in, in, uh, in Jerusalem, and as a person who negotiated the, uh, the Kotel arrangement and tried to defend it within the government, alas, not successfully. Yes, I'm concerned. Uh, I'm concerned for the ability of refugees from Ukraine and Russia to come to Israel. That's the question, uh, whether reform con conversions will still be recognized by the state of, uh, of Israel, reform conversions uh, done here in the United States. Uh, all of these issues are sources of concern. They're concerned on multiple levels, too. It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual concern. It's a concern for the unity of the Jewish people. It's also a strategic uh, concern um, because the strength of the American Jewish community and its connection to Israel is vital for our security. I think, but I think a strong Israel is vital for American Jewish uh, security. I'm here at the convention in, in New Orleans uh, of an organization called the Secure Community Network, um, which, for which I serve as an advisor proudly. It's a group of 85 uh, former FBI agents who monitor threats to about 12,400 Jewish institutions across the United States. And those threats are mounting all the time, all the time. And many of them are directly related to anti-Zionism. Because anti-Zionism goes up, anti-Semitism goes up. There's a direct connection here. So we have to be very, very vigilant. So I, I'm very concerned about that. My even greater concern, I must be frank with you, is what the impact on domestic Israeli politics and Israeli society. Uh, if you have a, say, a defense minister who never served in the army, whose family doesn't serve in the army, whose uh, community doesn't serve in the army, how does that defense minister tell um, Israeli parents to send their kids out to the army and perhaps not come home? That is, a, it, you're, you're toying with the, you know, the DNA of Israeli uh, society, the fabric of our society. Uh, so I have many, many concerns. Having said all that, 
Having said all that, I'm optimistic. What is optimistic? First of all, we have a government. Um, and we have a stable government that may be able to make some very faithful decisions. And we have faithful decisions coming up. Um, we, have a, we have a government that um, you know, proves once again that Israel is one of the four or five, six countries in the world that's never known a second of uh, non-democratic governance. It's one of our great achievements. We're the only country on that list that's never known a second of peace. And if you have an historical perspective, like I have, and you see you know, the long picture, um, the arc of Israeli history has always been to overcome these situations and to become stronger, uh, to become uh, more stable, to have peace with our Arab neighbors, uh, to maintain a very strong alliance with the United States of America. Uh, and with the world, <laughs> I, I, you and I, are, and I guess most of your, your, uh, your, your audience are of a certain age, but we remember 1977 when Menachem Begin uh, was elected prime minister of Israel, and half of Israel was sitting shiva at the time. People saying, it's the end of Israel, it's the end of Israel. Now we look back at Menachem Begin and say, oh, if we only go back to Menachem Begin, how wonderful he was. Uh, you know, history uh, enables us to see these periods in different perspectives. Last thought, and this I know from being in politics, I was in Knesset for years, um, and that is uh, people, when they're out of government, say all sorts of things. And they can say something. The question is, what do they do? And I, I don't want us to, uh, to become panicked by what some of these politicians have said. Let's see what they do. And uh, once they sit in the cockpit, it's much more difficult. Right. When you have to make the decision. Sure. It's easier to do it at a cocktail party, probably, than it is sitting in the middle in of the night. <laughs> yeah, sure. in the cockpit. Exactly right. Yeah, sure. Ambassador mm -hmm. Michael Oren, the author of Swan's War. Uh, thank you very much for your time, uh, your passion, your commitment, and um, and your book. And we wish you much happiness and good luck with the film rights. So hopefully that uh, you, never, you never you never know maybe, you maybe, never know. Maybe I, maybe I can get a cameo role. Maybe I can get a little cameo. I can be a, maybe I can be a lobster can. fisherman. <laughs> I can be a cranberry <laughs> farmer or an Italian right? prisoner of war. That'd be better. Right, right. There's a, Thank there you is so the, much. There is, the, there is the Italian mafia guy uh, in the book, which uh, I, yeah, I, I really him. like from Boston. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, right. To all of you, once again, thank you for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meeting, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Uh, if you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help complete and continue our work here on Jewish Sacred Aging and Seekers of Meeting, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and click on the conveniently located uh, donate button, just follow the prompts. Uh, Seekers of Meaning is produced at the studios of Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And as usual, a shout out to our tech genius, uh, Steve Lubetkin, our producer. Thank you again for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We look forward to greeting you on our next edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. In the meantime, to all of you, just stay safe, stay healthy, and just be kind to one another. Thank you very much. Shalom.